to the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Holy smokes, Batman. It's Gaggle of Geeks with uh, Blake Howard and Sophie Lye. Those geese, they Those never geese. stop. The do nots. <laughs> Welcome to a CR's Gaggle of Geeks podcast. I am Blake Howard, one of your co-hosts, and joining me is the legendary co-host of, uh, or legendary host of So Hot Right Now, Sophie Lai. Hello, Soph. Hi, how are you going? Good. And this is where our tiny segment on Soph's show, So Hot Right Now on Saturdays on 2SCR, blows out into... The Gaggle of Geeks epic rant fest that is our podcast. We rant a lot. Yeah, we talk about the weekly geekly, your yeah. week in pop culture and geek stuff. Um, and, you know, we've got a pretty massive week. It has been big. Uh, so much happening. So much happening. And the biggest one is Deadpool 2. Shall I play a bit of Celine to get us started? Let's do it. Ashes. That's not her, that's me. Um, <laughs> yeah, just go. This is a way more dramatic intro than most of the movies that we've done on this show. Seriously, this is indeed Ashes from the Deadpool motion, uh, Deadpool Two motion picture soundtrack. Now, the inimitable Celine Dion's voice is about to be on. What's left to say? Oh man, it's so good. Now, Deadpool Two for anyone who. Uh, of course, has been following along with probably one of the greatest marketing campaigns over two films, Ryan Reynolds' alter ego, Wade Wilson, The Merc with the Mouth is back. And this time, uh, some events happen in his life that gets him to decide that he's going to go off to do a traineeship with the X-Men. So we see Negasonic Teenage Warhead, we see Colossus, and they go to save uh, a kid who's in this sort of... um, Dickensian home for wayward young mutants, if you would like to call it. And that is the wonderful Julian Dennison. And when he stumbles upon Julian Dennison's character, who's this, <laughs> who has the hilarious superhero or evil villain moniker Fire Fist, which. Um, so scary. So scary. You know, pumps the fear in your chest. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Deadpool decides that, you know, maybe this kid is worth, worth salvaging. But what we see then echoed in the future is that the events that surround this kid's life is he can go one of two ways. He can be the biggest of biggest bads, or we don't know what he can be. And so the time traveling. Absolutely swole as hell. Josh Brolin as Cable comes back in time to take out this kid. So there's flavors of Looper. There's flavors of Days of Future Past. Even the aesthetic that is all there. There's um, uh, it is a, a a gag fest a minute. I think I laughed for the first fifteen minutes of this movie nonstop. Um, I had a ball with Deadpool too. Now, what I want to say straight up before we jump in to talk to Soph about it is number one. I actually don't really remember what happened in Deadpool 1, other than the jokes. What you end up remembering is the jokes. And I think the weakest part of both films is when they try to have their cake and eat it too with what the storyline is. Because ultimately, you know, this is what makes Deadpool 2 so unique and what made Deadpool so unique is that this guy and the writers, you know, um, uh, Wernick um, and Reynolds himself um, and Reese, these guys actually... Uh, making all of the jokes about the genre that they're in, about the movies that they belong in the same cinematic universe of, and about all of the current superhero movies and just getting away with it. They're not maybe jokes that you haven't heard before, yeah. but they're, the fact that they're doing it from within this universe is a hell of a lot of fun. 
I had a lot of fun in this movie. I know some people were like, it's just a repeat of Deadpool 2. I know that Soph has got a major problem that she's going to bring up with you because we've already <laughs> talked about it post-screening. Uh. But but look, I had a ball. Um, I had a ball because uh, it didn't take itself too seriously. I liked, uh, I liked the new director, Chad Stileski, who did... Uh, oh, sorry, David Leach, rather, who um, worked with Chad Stileski on the, uh, uh, the John Wick films. I think he's a very good action director. I love Zazie Beetz. She was absolutely outstanding as Domino. Um, and look, it's it's so chock full of ridiculous jokes, stupid cameos, inside jokes um, uh, in the X-Men universe, just poking fun at every superhero property, including their own. I had a good time. I think you will too. But Soph, what did you think? So, you mentioned it is by the guy who did John Wick. Yes. And he did what I bloody hate. <laughs> he killed the dog. No, Deadpool doesn't have a dog. He fridged Vanessa. Oh, yes. So, if you don't know what fridging is, it was a term coined by the wonderful Gail Simone, who's a comic book writer in the 90s, about how... And still a current comic book writer. And it's still a comic a phenomenal book. Phenomenal comic, phenomenal one. Phenomenal one. And it's basically when... They kill the significant other, usually a woman, um, of the hero. Put her on ice. Put her on ice, <laughs> literally. Um, and this term came from um, Green Lantern because when Carl Rayner like, first got the ring to become Green Lantern, his girlfriend was literally stuffed into a fridge by a, by a foreign alien. Wow. So that's where the term <laughs> came from. And it's... It is such an old trope. Oh, my God. The point of Deadpool was to go against the trope. And the first 15 minutes, what do they do? They put V on ice. And it's like, are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) You're supposed to go against this. You're supposed to make fun of it. Like, if she was still alive through the whole movie, I thought it would have been a lot more interesting. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been interesting. Definitely. And A very valid criticism. And that's why I was so upset. I'm like, why did you fridge her when, like, the moments with... Like, they have such great chemistry, and you saw that in the first film. Yeah. And that was probably one of the best montages in the first The film. best, one of the greatest, <laughs> Happy International Women's Day. Oh, my god! One of the unbelievable lines in the first movie. And that took a while for me to get over. And even though, like, when the opening um, montage, which was a beautiful homage to James Bond, came oh, was the, it was Oh, it was the greatest Deadpool rip-off of a James Bond trope, which features that outstanding song that was just being sung by Celine Dion. Yeah. It was sensational. Sensational, but I actually was still just like, I can't believe they just did that. I can't believe they did it. I was so annoyed, and it took me a little while until the introduction of X Force and Zazie Beats and Domino. Oh my god, she's so great so in this good. for me to actually get back into the movie and like kind of feel the funness for a while. But yeah, I was seething for a little yeah, while. That's fine. And but the thing is, like the second, I thought the second half film was much stronger than the first in a way. Yeah, like the action and. They managed to, um, with the whole breaking the fourth wall, I felt that like the first one, they, they didn't feel re- like figure out how to balance it. And then at the end, it just became your usual superhero film. Yes. Well, this, they managed to balance it out a lot better. Yeah, they t- I think uh, one of the criticisms was with the first Deadpool, and this is sort of uh, uh, not, not, not necessarily mine or so, but this is sort of in the in the ether of a lot of um, you know critics who viewed the film was like the final act is very 
run of the mill. Mm. Um, a superhero ending even has, you know, some of the gigantic special effects and, and, and sort of takes the Mickey out of one of the, like the flying, um, it's one, yeah. one of the flying things from another Marvel movie. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so it very much was paint by numbers. Whereas the, the opening, the introduction to Wade and V and their relationship, and then obviously him transitioning into Deadpool mm. and watching all of that fun and carnage go ahead. Mm. That's when it was really, um, it's strongest. But yeah, look, I, 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 I laughed. I definitely look. There, there are criticisms to be made in this movie. It's not a perfect movie. No. I don't think the Deadpool movies are meant to be perfect because it is really hard to when you're when you're playing the fourth wall and you're playing super meta. Um, sometimes you can get distracted from or, or detached from um, what the actual story you're trying to tell is because sometimes that's like the beauty of a South Park episode versus a Family Guy episode. Whereas a South Park episode can take the Mickey and do all those great things that the Simpsons used to do, be loaded with film references, take the Mickey out of whatever subject that they're doing. But the genius of Trey Parker is the sort of key uh, or architect of the entire series is that he keeps it anchored very much to the story. Whereas with Family Guy, sometimes you actually don't know what the episode's about. Yeah. As, as a great contrast. You don't actually know what the story of the episode is. It's just a series of jokes spun together and the South Park guys actually take the mickey out of that in a great episode. But, look, I think Deadpool works because... Um, it works because Ryan Reynolds is just a force of nature. There's just no way to describe him. He, as this character, he's as, as good as anything that he's ever done. Um, and this really feels like a, you know, this is the, the Deadpool is like, it's like Van Wilder, but in a red suit. Like, that's exactly what it's, it is. It's where he feels most at home, it feels. Yeah. And he just kind of, it's his second skin in yeah, a way. Exactly. Look, I think Brolin was good. Um, I think Brolin's way better as Thanos. And I think Josh Brolin, just in general, if you haven't ever seen him before, if this is your first time seeing him, you need to go back and watch movies like No Country for Old Men, which mm-hmm. is an absolute masterpiece. Um, he was the villain in Milk, which is a, a Sean Penn won the best um, actor for um, Gus Van Sant's movie um, about the San Francisco politician who was murdered, which is absolutely, outs- uh, again, outstanding movie mm. um he was in uh, uh hail caesar he's been in uh, true grit he's he's been in robert rodriguez's movie um planet dram- terror dramatic <laughs> yeah he's a phenomenal he's uh, a phenomenal actor. actor um so look uh he was he was quite good but I, my actual favorite performer outside of julian dennison who was who were, we knew would be great and he was just See, excellent i felt that they should have had more screen time he think. needed more screen time i agree because it was just like like my partner came out and he's just like Ricky's had better lines. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know him as Julian Dennison, just as Ricky, Ricky Baker. Baker. But he was just Ricky like, Baker. Ricky Baker. But he's like, he's had better lines. And I'm like, yeah, he has. Oh, look, he had a whole movie of lines <laughs> written by Taika Waititi, right? So he wasn't ever going to have all of that. But it was no. great to see him in a superhero movie as a young kid and have a, like just a different accent. And but keep his Kiwi accent. <laughs> those two, though, Zazie Beat mm-hmm. and Julian Dennison, they bring something like organic to us, to the superhero genre, just to their different faces, their different styles. Like I would say, Zazie Beetz looks so wrong in this movie because she just seems real. Like she seems real. She seems like she brings another layer of like authenticity and someone who like doesn't give a shit, pays no reverence to what like it's a superhero movie mm. and she just performs as the character. And I thought she was awesome. Um, luck is most definitely a superpower if um, <laughs> if you want to check that out. But look, I had fun. I, I think you're probably going to hear from some folk who don't love superhero movies or who aren't as like deep in the geek fandom that they, they don't like this or maybe it's a bit repetitious. But personally, I had an absolute ball. I was sitting next to, I wasn't uh, sitting next to Soph because the theater was packed, um, but I was sitting next to a couple of mates, um, Stu Kurt, Dark, uh, Garth Franklin from Dark Horizons and Stu from the Cinephiles, and we were laughing and cackling the whole way through. Like, I don't remember bits. There were only a few bits where I wasn't having a good old cackle. 
See, I found that interesting because I remember when I saw Deadpool 1, the whole cinema was pissing themselves. Well, yeah. this one, it was more little cackles from little areas. Yeah. It and didn't the, feel like the whole room was laughing there's at a the joke, same time. There's a joke about the proposition in this movie, the Guy Pearce film, which was my favourite joke <laughs> in the whole movie. It was outsta- like it was my favourite. But finally, in a world where we're also completely sick of um, cutscenes that you stay at the end of the movie and debate whether or not, <laughs> oh the, and debate whether or not the quality of the movie it deserves that cutscene. This is the this is the cutscene to be to beat all cutscenes. And I've heard a couple of criticisms like the best materials in the cutscene. I don't think that's the case. I just think that it's it's such a concentrated dose of big jokes that um, it go, it knocks it out of the park. But that being said, it's so strong, it's so funny, and so worth it. So um, stick around in the cutscene for a cutscene at the end that is better than any of the the I recent cutscenes. I think I loved during the cutscenes. Yeah, actually, it's really strong, really strong. It, is good so I'm, I'm a fan. Fair enough. So for me, I'm like, it was fun, but I had my issues with it. Look, and I think that I think none of Soph's criticisms are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they are. I yeah. reckon my criticisms are valid. <laughs> oh, I think but, they're pretty valid. I think um, they're valid. But yeah, I mean, but definitely the action scenes are great. Um, and it is a lot of fun. Um, if you can just get over the some of the tropes, they just go along with it instead of challenging it. Like lean, the whole point of Deadpool. Lean into those tropes. I say lean. Look, Deadpool, for all it was worth, the original one, pretty conservative origin story movie. True. Like as far as the structure. And that's why he kind of, he took it to every extreme that he could, fourth wall breaking, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, my initial thought when I came out was just like, after just still getting over my anger was... The marketing's slightly better. <laughs> yeah. That was always a question. It's always tough. Oh, what do you do? You can't, look, look, it's the risk. When you're playing the clown and you're breaking the fourth wall and you're doing all that stuff, like it's, it, it totally, it totally can work. Um, the challenge that you have though is just like being able to maintain because people want you to go from, you know, more extreme, more extreme, more extreme. Everything's more extreme. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And then you get bloody Celine Dion involved. I know. It's beautiful. So good. So good. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we better move on. Let's move on. To, we've got some sad news this week, like Yeah, terrible news. Look, uh, I mean, we talk about superhero movies all the time. And mm. I think a lot of people have short memories, like sh- short-term memory loss for like what is the actual arc of movies. And sometimes it's really frustrating to talk about when did superheroes come around and things like that. But look, the the, the film that changed it in pop culture is Richard Donner's Superman. Yeah, it definitely wasn't X-Men, guys. No, 100% wasn't X-Men. <laughs> it was not. Um, and so Dick Donner's Superman is made by two incredible performances, one of delicacy and sweetness and restraint from Christopher Reeves, may he rest in peace. Mm. And this week we lost the incredible Canadian actress who brought the blousy broad that is Lois Lane to life with warmth and also tenacity and toughness, the incredible Margot Kidder. And um, Margot was, like Carrie Fisher, another sort of stalwart of a huge franchise of movies. Yeah. um, Who 
had some mental illness, uh, mental illness issues throughout her life and became unfortunately and really brutally like the butt of a stack of crazy jokes um, and really unfairly. And it was only sort of as people sort of became a little bit more sensitive to just the impacts of both her career um, mm. and her life that they started to sort of reappraise her as not only a, a phenomenal actor um, and, and, and someone that people should be hearing and listening to like um, we did towards the end of Carrie Fisher's career, um, but, you know, as, as someone with a mental illness that was worth listening to um, in the media industry. But, um, yeah, she, she sort of got a bit of a reappraisal and didn't quite get back into public consciousness as much as, say, Carrie did with, her, you know, with the new Star Wars films coming yeah. out. But um, most certainly was definitely reappraised after a stack of time where people just made fun of her because that was what the in thing to do. Um, and... Yeah, because like Carrie, she had bipolar. Yeah, bipolar, yeah. And and she was a great mental health advocate later in life. Later once, in life. Once people realised, yeah, don't be a shithead. Yeah. <laughs> don't be with a sh- mental health. Exactly. Um, but she was also like a very keen activist. Yes. Um, And she would, you know, she was on the front lines at, when they were building the Keystone Pipeline protesting with First Nations. Yeah. Uh, like, I think if you dig into some of the these forgotten women of, like, Hollywood, um, of, of, of more recent Hollywood era in the last 40 years, um, there's some incredible stories. And usually people being blackballed and pushed out because they had too much to say or, or, or not the right things to say in a more conservative time. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Margot Kidda was a badass. Um, there's no surprise why she brings all the things that you ever wanted in a Lois Lane to yeah. a Lois Lane. And uh, that movie's unforgettable. Donna yeah. Superman is still arguably the best super superhero movie ever made. There's that moment when um, Superman catches Lois and he's like, it's okay, I've got you. And she's like, well, who's got you, buddy? <laughs> like, it is so perfect. Yeah, that's that's that it. Moment. That's it. That's their whole relationship. Yeah. And yeah. it's like she just brings this whole groundedness to that film that is just, yeah, why would you trust a bloody flying alien? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, God bless those two. Their chemistry, those movies, they're just... Uh, um, it's a travesty that uh, that some of the producers took took Donna away from those movies halfway through the second one because they would have made... They would have made 10 Supermans. <laughs> they would have made 10 Supermans at the time. But, but it was the iconic one. When you think of Superman, you don't think of Brandon Routh or even Henry Cavill. You no. think of... Chris Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Yeah, Chris Reeve. And uh, and undeniably, his lowest lane. Like they make so they they make so much sense. It's such, yeah. It's it's perfect. It's it's a it's a role that she we get to keep revisiting year after year after year after year and enjoying. It's timeless, and she's an incredible woman. And um, and all of her all, to all of her family and friends and um and dear dear admirers and experts and and connoisseurs of her work. You know, sorry that she's passed. Very, very sad news, but from one amazing woman to another. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get this back, guys. We gotta get this back. Look, yeah. there's some um there's some absolutely fantastic news this week, and right now it's all in the realm of speculation. So take everything that we're gonna say with a grain of salt. It is some awesome news. Captain Marvel in the current Marvel universe is a young Muslim girl named Kamala Khan. They have said that Marvel intends to have a Captain Marvel in their Phase Four. Mm-hmm. That is Kamala Khan. Now, this—I think their exact words were definitely, sort of, maybe, yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. is what they're saying. Yeah. Which everyone is saying. That is, is a direct quote. So, <laughs> got that from. It's a direct quote. Totally a direct yeah, quote. Yeah, well, no, we're definitely going to do it. I mean, what? What? Who said that? Who said that? No, 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 no. Wait, yeah, what no, that? wait. What was that? The wind. Everyone seems to like it. Should we say yes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look. Um, I think Marvel are doing absolutely the right thing to keep everything close to their chest. Mm-hmm. I think they have to because yeah. there's no way. Um, yeah, there's no way that they can re- reveal any plans to the future because of what it will tell us about the present. Mm. And so. It's I, true. I mean, God, they gave their own cast like. 50, like, fake scripts so they wouldn't leak the ending of yeah. Infinity War. Yeah. And so where we've stopped, where we've paused right in the middle of this Infinity War saga, this this two-film thing, mm. um, you know, we're, we're, we're waiting with bated breath to see what happens in Ant-Man and the Wasps and see how that leads into it. And then, furthermore, we're waiting with bated breath to see um, Captain, Marvel. Captain Marvel, which is, you know, the... And Kevin Feige's already said the most powerful superhero that they have ever introduced. Wow. Took them what three phases? <laughs> yeah, look, but I tell you what, she's uh she's got some she's got a big she's got a big uh, challenge ahead of her, which is pretty rad. Yeah, and I'm gonna be really in- interested to see how they kind of bring in, um, like Captain Marvel, who's being played by Brie Larson, her story in with Kamala Khan. Yes. Um. So this character was created not even that long ago. No. Back in 2013, um, and then she got her own solo series written by G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona, who also drew the incredible Runaways. Read it if you haven't. Yes. Have you been reading it? Blake? I have been reading it. Good. <laughs> Good. Good. I got homework from Gaggle of Geese. Um, but basically, she's a Pakistani American from New Jersey with shape shifting abilities. And discovers she has inhuman genes. So whether this kind of builds in, like, you know, with the whole Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. storyline, which was very concentrated on inhumans. Yes. It should be quite interesting because they've kind of cut them off from the movie universe a little bit. Yeah, and they made them into that show, and I think the show got canned. So we'll just see. <laughs> and like, the, the, one, the movie that was out in cinemas for one day. <laughs> yeah, look, I think what's going to happen is... Marvel Cinematic Universe is the top of the pops, right? Mm-hmm. They can decide whatever happens. Whatever you guys do in the TV, whether it's Netflix, whether it's ABC, they don't give a shit. Mm. Like, if they want to take a character out of that show and rewrite it, they'll do whatever they want. Like, as far as they're concerned, also, Coulson is not alive. In, like, in, the, it, film in the film universe, universe Coulson yeah. is dead. Even though he's been alive for, like, however many seasons that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been running, he's dead. And so, you know, it's so... I think what we've got to sort of just take a step back and just go is, like... There's so much going on right now in that universe that all hinges on the next three movies, really, like Ant-Man and the Wasp and then and Captain Marvel being introduced and then finally Infinity War. That will close off everything that they've done for about the last decade. It'll, about, it'll be 11 years in total once they've completed that, that phase. And then they can decide what they're going to do from there. My big thoughts are the Fantastic Four is back in their court. Wow, another reboot. <laughs> they will because they'll just ignore that Fox ever made an, a movie. They'll just say these don't exist, which they can. Quite easily. Easily. Just go, see ya. It's the same as Ang Lee's Hulk. They're like, bye. <laughs> like, no one talks about it. It's done. It's over. Um, so they'll they'll, move, they'll completely move on from that. I think Fantastic Four is a huge part of it. I think characters like, um, you know, a, a Captain Marvel who, a, a Captain Marvel like uh, a Kamala Khan is a huge um, character that they can pursue and they're going to be looking for new opportunities to have that. And I think, you know, we'll start to see some of our old characters get thrown in there and do the odd movie or do a big movie. But, you know, 
I don't think the same roster of people that we've been seeing for the last decade is going to be on show. Yeah, I feel like it's the new generation they'll be coming through. Whether that's fantastic for, I don't know, but it'll definitely feel will be like more the younger characters, like Kamala Khan. But who's the next big villain? That's the thing. That's what like I'm it's, really interested. I really hope they bring Young Avengers to this. But it's like Gala- Galactus is the next big vi- like in the Marvel universe. The next biggest villain post Thanos is Galactus. Like he is, he, and so that's a fantastic raw villain. This big purple people. Big purple head guys. They <laughs> really like big purple people. And apocalypse as well, but you know they they butchered him in the X Men universe. Oh, don't worry. Now that they own it, they'll just cancel that movie's existence and then bring it back. They'll do whatever. Poor Oscar Isaac, he tried so hard. Oh, in that man, such a good actor too. What oh, a waste. What a waste. But the really interesting thing about since they were like sort of maybe kind of announced. They yeah. might be looking into Kamala Khan being yeah. on the screen. Riz Ahmed and Mindy Kaling have put up their pants yeah. to write it, which is so great. It's cool. It's the same as, you know, when you saw Roxanne Gay go, Hey, I've got a bat I've got to take on back I've got to take on Batgirl. I really hope they did meet with her. Yeah, they, I I'm, I'm sure they look, Warner Brothers is at the moment is is throwing their arms open to any creatives. They will have a certain vision for what they ultimately want to do, but you know, looking for different places for different stories to be told. I think that's the way that they actually come back and actually get to tell some of these stories. You know, there's been some cool ideas. I heard a really great podcast the other week, a team effort podcast that's Ed Cavalli, Tony Martin, and Lockie Hume, who's an Aussie actor, but an, a Batman obsessive, talking about his dreams for the, um, and I'll just share, like he was saying that his, his thoughts was that the DC universe should just start when Superman, like, so, you know, when Superman was originated. So from like 1933, like they should start with Superman. Whoa. Go all the way back to then, that time, that metropolis, go everything, and then have Batman come in at 1939 when he actually came out because that's the way they can differentiate it. Constantly be looking back to the past, watching Batman build the cars, build the stuff, and then like basically have them chronologically introduced to these, all these famous characters. Um, and that's, then, that's quite a feat also. It would have been really, really white. <laughs> yes, super white. But you can also, they can play with that too, because obviously it was just white because it was propagate. you know, all of that cinema at that time was propagating the cultural norm that they were trying to actually say, as opposed to what was perhaps the real makeup of those things. They're all very white, Anglo, no Irish, no migrants, no Italians, nothing. Nope. Even though they're all there. Never mind all the black people. Never mind. Never, yeah, there. the black people down south more in America. But yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, no, I'm excited. I'm super excited about some of that stuff. And look, the, the Marvel Phase 4, I think they've got a, I think it's almost like starting again. They've got to build a whole new set of characters build it up to a whole new villain that'll happen maybe 10 years later. Mm. You know, I think that, I think well, that's that, what, yeah, that's that, why I think it's going to be like the younger ones, like the young Avengers, Yeah, which is like, they're not kids of a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> or just somebody like Camilla Khan who's born with some abilities Yeah, and just decide to take up the mantle. So I think it will be the much younger audiences. And it's quite funny because, um, one of my colleagues, she's got a 10-year-old kid who's pretty much lived through this entire Marvel yeah. phase, devastated, oh, like, man. broken after Infinity War. Of course, War. of course. And it's like, well, this is the thing. You have to garner a new generation of yeah. soon-to-be 10-year-olds yeah. to bring you through the next 10 years and have them devastated at the end because that's what Marvel does. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But they'll be happy. They'll be triumph. It's going to happen. <laughs> One uh, last thing before we get to the shit list. Um <laughs> Avoid. There's so many people that are like trying to piece together set photos to uh, and writing dumb articles uh, about what they think is going to happen in Infinity War. And I saw someone say this line: "Oh, 
I think um the next uh, Infinity War. I'm doing the voice. I don't know if this is their actual voice. Probably. Uh, I think it's very accurate. It's, it's, I think the next Infinity War is going to involve time travel. You think? Do you think? <laughs> Do they not have the time stone? Sorry, oh, what? Oh, my God. Did okay. you not watch Infinity War? Oh, my God. Did you not see the end? Did you not see where, hashtag spoilers, you know, Thanos did a little bit of, <laughs> and 50% of the, went out of, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So what I would be saying to you is, does no one remember this? Doctor Strange sitting on Titan saying, I've looked at 14 million ways that this goes down and there's only one way that we win. Uno. It's uno. <laughs> uno way that it wins, right? Seriously. Ah, so annoying. Okay? So annoying. Of course it involves time travel. Of course it does. Anyway. That's enough. Let's get to the shit list, Soph, because I'm fired up now. I'm ready to rant. Ah, uh, yeah. You are officially on my shit list! Okay, so two things that Soph did. We're going to have to finish on a high, uh, which I'm super excited about, is Mission Impossible trailer, so we'll get there. Um, okay, two things on the shit list. Number one. Number uno. Uno. Uno, uno, uno. So, Solo... Mm-hmm. Is out next week. Yes. We are going to see a midnight screening together. Yes. And come back and report in hot next week. So we're excited to go and see that together and bring our report back to you guys for the Gaggle Geeks fans out there. Friends of the show. What we've heard this week, though, there's been a couple of articles that have popped up online because um, Jonathan Kasdan, who wrote Solo, co wrote it with Larry Kasdan, his dad, the original writer of Empire Strikes Back. How would it be to write that with your father? I have no idea. Um, how would it be if your dad's Larry Kazan? Of course, you're going to get a crack at like giving him ideas for a script. And if you're even remotely capable, mm. you can do it, right? Totally. But at the same time, it's like, Dad, let me have my time. I know, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so John and Larry Kazan wrote this film together. What he said in an interview with the Huffington Post is when they discussed the character of Lando Calrissian, they said, is he pansexual? i.e. not limited to his sexual choice with gender identity, just like he's gender he's a bit like fluid. He's, you know, sort of bi, he's, pansexual, whatever. He's he'll like, bang a ro- he'll bang a droid, he'll bang a woman, he'll he bang a dude. He's what Captain Jack Harkness was in Doctor Who slash Torchwood. Yes. He'd bang anything, flirt with anything that moved. Yes. But guess what? He just said it in a fucking interview and it didn't actually happen in the movie. So like I I was meant to see Solo this week. I didn't. I've spoken to people. Nothing overt about anything, which one thing universally in like five or six reviews I've already read of Solo is that it is absolutely Donald Glover's time. He is killing it as um, in, his, in his childish Gambino and he's sublime in this movie. He is a shining light in the movie. No matter any movie, any pan of the film um, or or any effusive thing, everyone is gushing about Lando. But none of them say that he's pansexual. They just say that he's super charming and Lando Calrissian. So this is just another dumb example of when they're like, hey, Dumbledore's gay as shit, but we're not going to show it in the fucking movie. If you don't show it in the fucking movie, don't say it. Because what are we in the Hayes Code in the 1930s? Like, show, if you're gay, you get to be shown as gay. If you're pansexual, you're shown as pansexual. Like, if you like banging aliens, like Captain Kirk in Star Trek, show him banging a fucking alien. Like, yeah, like, he's pan. Yeah. Captain Kirk's pan. He'll, he'll like. Oh, look! Oh, he, he does lean to the ladies. He's hetero pan. Hetero pan. <laughs> he's panero. 
or or Hetan, or Hetan. We don't know which one. But he'll bang an alien chick. He'll bang. He'll bang a human chick. He doesn't care. He just, just as long as you're female, he'll be like, hey, yeah. And God bless him for it. You know what I'm saying? So if. That there is a way more valid argument for someone to go back. In fact, I might pitch that um, to go back and say <laughs> Captain Kirk's way more fucking pan than Lando, or, or, or just call him Pando from now on. Right? If you're going to call him Pando, sexual Lando, then do it. I I totally think that this movie would never be as uh, when when you've got cons- when you've got old white guys who are directing the film and an old white guy and his white son in the movie who are all potentially hetero, you know, sort mm-hmm. of um, guys, I don't think they're going to be. And, and it, for a movie that is almost like one for the, one for the kids, you know, we did the brave one with the last Jedi, which is arguably the best star Wars movie ever made that people are still going to argue about because it doesn't actually fit in their expectations of what it, what they wanted it to be. And then you've got something like a solo, which is playing it extremely safe by all the royal reports. I doubt very much they're going to do a pansexual. And I think this is just bullshit clickbait articles to try to make you look more progressive than you are. Unless you actually show it, shut the fuck up. Or you, you convey it. You don't have to show it explicitly. We're not asking Lando to like be banging a droid and then be banging a, a Wookiee and no, then be banging a man. we're not saying don't make it X-rated. No. But, at all. But, but a, a, a touch of a hand, a look, anything can make a massive, massive difference. And we don't really need it to be call me by your name solo. Like we don't need that. (laughs) Um, But I think you need to have, you need to have an exchange. Like look at Moonlight in, especially at the, in the climactic moments of that film, there's an embrace. There's nothing explicit and it's just divine. Like it's one of the most divine pieces of filmmaking you could ever see in Barry Jenkins's absolutely gorgeous Oscar winner. And so when these two, if, if it's just an embrace, if it's a touch, if it's a shock, if it's something, there only has to be the mi- most minor fraction of a performance to convey what is the text, the underlying text. It doesn't have to be explicit, but to convey it and give it that texture, you have to, it has to happen like that. Otherwise, don't talk about it. And the thing that really pisses both of Soph and I off is that Dumbledore and mm-hmm. Grindelwald are... are in all of the conceptual thought of it in the upcoming movie, aren't they like slighted lovers? Like, weren't they gay lovers as young men? And then, well, so basically, um, this is the other thing that annoyed me about JK. <laughs> Came out like four years later. Yeah, Dumbledore's gay. <laughs> yeah. Every time it's like, yeah, but it's like, wait, we never actually saw it. So there's that complete erasure of queerness in the books, and then they're doing it again in the films. And you know, Dumbledore had a massive thing for Grindelwald. It's never implied Grindelwald um, returned to those feelings, but then kind of betrayed him anyway by... I think it makes it such a fascinating yeah. story because it's still like... it's like, But it's, it's, in the end, it's still about their friendship and their relationship. Yeah, their relationship. Makes it more interesting. But yeah, so, so yeah, this bullshit about, yeah, I think he's pansexual. Look, you can think it all you want. I saw a great tweet from a friend of mine. Until he is kissing other aliens I saw a, or looking and going, hey, yeah. Hey, I saw, I, saw a gra- hey. I saw a great tweet from a friend of mine who just wrote, look, I heard that Lando needs his eyes checked. Like he needs to go to an optometrist. Like that's how valid someone going, I think he's pansexual. Because unless you're actually conveying it, just stop. Like, and I don't, it doesn't have to be explicit. We're not saying that. No. Now there's another one for the shit list as well. Let's there uh, is. let's let's play the trailer and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> hey, oh. 
So now what? Uh, this is when the operatic section comes in. Oh, the operatic section, yeah. Mamma mia, mamma mia! Mamma mia, let me go! Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me, for me, for me! It goes on forever, six bloody minutes. I pity your wife if you think six minutes is forever. the sounds of uh, Rami Malek playing Freddie Mercury in a bohemian rhapsody. I mean, it's about the rise of the band itself, but Blake... He's a queer icon who died of AIDS. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, and by all of the marketing, it's it's completely softening the fact that, you know, even the fucking trailer says it's his story. Well, if you don't accept <laughs> Freddie Mercury's outlandishly gorgeous gayness and then of course the devastating reality that he died of AIDS and you're trying to take that away it's so fucking stupid well this was the reason why this film has been the making for so long like and people had have this, fallen off including Sasha Baron, Baron Cohen, Cohen who originally was like I'd love to be part of this and then was like no nah. but when they try to tone down his queerness he actually stepped away from the project going hell no this is the guy who did Bruno. Like yeah. he's not a, he's not a shy man when it comes to no. to, to, to portraying queerness. Even though it's again, I'd probably use the word outlandish once once again. But yeah, no. Like by all accounts, look, the trailer looks great. It looks fantastic. You wouldn't from a trailer be able to tell that that's the case. It's actually just in 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 conjunction with some of the marketing material where they're taking away um, the the fact that. Uh, the 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 de-emphasizing AIDS and it's, no they keep saying horrific disease and it's like what the fuck is everyone wrong with knows you? it's AIDS AIDS guys Just AIDS say it AIDS <laughs> it's like it's in the eighties people were scared of it like now at least there's like some tr- medical treatments that can keep I you know. alive it's called prep yeah yeah it's like keeping you alive now with with this you know horrendous thing um so yeah I mean it's just so dumb it's but so dumb it also perpetuates that fear again and it's like people still don't like a lot of people don't even know prep exists no. The education around HIV AIDS is terrible. Yeah. All they know is like, you can get it and you die. Yeah. Well, that's still. what happened in the 80s. And, in, in, in and it's the, still that same in the, information. In the late 80s and early 90s is when education sort of happened. But, you know, we're now like 20 years after that, right? So things start to get forgotten and lost. And it's like, you need to actually contextualize. Because what was so profound about this was that it was an, it was an epidemic that basically landed in the queer community because 
for, for whatever reason, you know, it landed in the queer community and took away a lot of queer people. And it's like, come on, just wake up, wake up, you know. Um, anyway, it's just crazy. I just can't believe, I, I can't believe the marketing material of this movie. Look, it looks fine. The movie looks fine. It looks like it's a lot of fun. How can you not want to toe tap to Queen songs? They're like really? anthems. Um, and even Soph was like, oh my God, you see that trailer? Um, my Queen playlist is going like, oh, totally. <laughs> it's going I've off got right the now. Queen playlist going <laughs> off, but I'm, I'm hoping that they're just keeping it. Yes. And just saving it full of film. Yes. But that's just my hope. <laughs> yeah. Look, Whether that will happen oh, so, remains to be seen. But soundtrack's got me going. Kasdan, shit list. Fox Marketing, shit list. Solo, to be confirmed. Folks, this is nearly the end of Gaggle of Geeks. But, oh my God, the most anticipated movie of the year for me. Just oh. dropped another trailer. You really have an odd obsession with this one. It is not odd. <laughs> There cannot be peace without first a great suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. The end you've always feared is coming. It's coming. And the blood will be on your hands. I pray to God that it wasn't true. Solomon Lane escaped in Paris. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. You use a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. This is a bad idea. Is it ever a good one? Honestly. He's not just some observer. He's an assassin. I don't trust anybody outside of this room. You go rogue, he's been authorized to hunt you down and kill you. That's the job. No hard feelings. Which way, Benji? Turn left! Go, 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 go! What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, good luck. When the clock stops, Ethan Hunt will lose everyone he ever cared about. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. Well, the house is back, folks. Ethan, that's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. Here we go, Halo jump. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Tom Cruise, you're a nutcase. You're absolutely not. You've lost this one. What's done is done. What's done is done. What we say is done. Way more than anyone else in history. And the helicopter stunts in this movie were insane. Harry Cavill was in an interview talking about how, like, a couple of the helicopter stunts, like Tom Cruise, who was actually legitimately flying a helicopter, went a little bit close to his helicopter, and they're like, um, does that mean you would have potentially died? He's like, yeah. So just maybe, and I feel like that's going to be every new trailer from Mission Impossible Fallout. Blake just talking over as in excitement. I can't help myself. It's amazing. So if you line it up, it's the new trailer. Looks amazing. Chris McQuarrie writes and directs once again. 
Um, I have to say, I'm kind of like since like Simon Pegg took over some of the writing, it's it feels a lot more fun. <laughs> oh no, Simon Pegg's not involved in this one. He's not writing. No, this no, he one. doesn't. He doesn't write anything. No, Chris McQuarrie is the guy. He's an Oscar-winning writer for um, things like The Usual Suspects. Um, he's directed a couple of movies. He did the Jack Reacher movie, which is what put him into Tom Cruise. Mm. Um, and they actually worked together on Valkyrie, a Brian Singer movie, uh, uh, quite some time ago. But when he got the hands of Rogue Nation, he's He's a very sardonic and funny and great writer. Like, if you look up Christopher McQuarrie on your IMDb, you will find so many good things. Um, but, yeah, he's amazing. Really sharp, spot on, and, and, and plays into Peg like n- nobody's business. Can't wait for this. Dying for it. Screw Solo. I don't want to see it. Let's just see this ten times. <laughs> well, this isn't out for a little while yet, so we're still seeing Solo next week. Like. All right. Okay. Okay. And then we can see whether Lando is Pando. 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 Pend. He'll just be charming. He'll just be. He'll just be Donald Glover. Being I gotta go. Famous. I gotta go. Picture how Christopher Pine's way more pan than Pando <laughs> calories. That's your next article. There, um. we, <laughs> there we go, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Gaggle of Geeks. Of course, um, subscribe, rate, and review on any podcast platform. It's two SERs Gaggle of Geeks. You can find it. Sophie's on so hot right now at Sophie underscore lie. She is on Twitter. I am at Blake is Batman. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, and we'll catch you guys next week. But till then, bye. bye.